0: This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom.
1: In this week's podcast,
0: I think um, I think parents are hesitant to place spiritual restrictions on their kids that they know they should place because they have believed a lie of the devil mm-hmm. um, that sounds like this: um, if you if you push them towards church Christianity, if you push them towards Following God, it's just going to make them run away. Uh, I, I've heard that more times than I can remember. And Brandon, wow. that's simple, that, that's spiritual warfare. There is no verse in the Bible that states that concept or principle. That if you re, if you lead your children strongly, it will make them want to run away.
1: Welcome back to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International in Lee Summit, Missouri. My name is Brandon, and today we're going to continue a conversation around our Sunday's message series called Family Stronger, where we're challenging families to battle the brokenness in their lives and in their relationships and refuse to quit. Uh, Let's jump into this week's incredibly challenging message. Uh, Pastor Christian, again, we look closely at a family of uh, the heroic judge of Israel named Samson. Um, in, in this message, you showed us that even his family had brokenness. Um, we read in the Book of Judges that even prior to the birth of Samson, God gave his parents very clear directions, um, and God asked them to God asked them to help um, Samson take a Nazarite vow. Can you can you briefly remind us again what the significance of this vow was? And does God still provide clear direction for Christian parents today on how they should raise their children?
0: Yeah, and before I do that, just let me thank our listeners again for being a part of uh, of our podcast. I'm out of town this week, so uh, I'm getting to record remote. Um, But I just hear more and more from people how much they enjoy uh, the extra content from Sunday's message. Uh, I've got a friend who told me that uh, he literally every Monday um, gets on the elliptical and turns on the Activate podcast. He asked me uh, to begin to shorten them a little bit because he said, I try to work out until the end of the podcast. And when you go, uh, <laughs> when you talk a really long time, I get very tired. So my goal now that I know that is to have our longest one ever today. Um, right. So hopefully, hopefully we can deliver some great content content while you're pedaling away or jogging on a treadmill or uh, using your elliptical or taking a walk. Um, no. What, so what is a Nazarite vow? A Nazarite vow is something we find in the Old Testament that helps the people of Israel or the people of God uh, have a special time in their life that is totally consecrated to the Lord. It has three elements. One, that you don't touch or eat anything from the vine. That's not just an alcohol prohibition. You can't drink grape juice. You can't eat grapes. You can't eat raisins. You don't touch anything from the vine. Not because it's bad, but because you're separating yourself uh, unto God. Uh, You don't go near anything that's dead. Uh, You don't have any ceremonial uncleanness, which would have been a specifically Jewish and Old Testament prohibition. Uh, And then you don't let a razor touch your head. You let your hair grow long for a certain amount of time. The Apostle Paul had taken a Nazarite vow in the New Testament Hmm. when he was ultimately arrested in the temple uh, and put on the trial that would eventually send him to Rome. He had been away doing missions work. At some point, he had taken a Nazarite vow, probably a 40-day vow uh, of consecration to God. And at the end of that vow, he was going to go to the temple. You would shave your head, and then you would deliver your hair as an offering. Not that hair could be used as an offering, but um, you would you would shave your head because you were letting your hair grow to God. So ultimately, um, the shaving of your head was an act of honoring the time that you had put into God, which makes it so backwards for Samson to allow the shaving of his head to be an act of basically sexuality, um, an act of, you know, debauchery to a prostitute girlfriend he was with for him to understand that his hair was an offering Hmm. and for him to give that offering to anybody else, um, just makes, you know, his story, Uh, even appear more sacrilegious, the risks he took while trying to live for God. So that's what a Nazarite vow was. And the angel told uh, Samson's parents that he would be a Nazarite from birth to death. Very, very rare that anyone would be a lifetime Nazarite. But Samson was so that he could fulfill his purpose. His purpose was to subdue the Philistines who had ruled the people of Israel for 40 years. Uh, But he could only do that under the power of God, and he could only have the power of God if he would choose daily to consecrate himself to his God. What we learned in the message is that throughout his lifetime, he took steps away from his consecration. He took steps away from his purpose. And ultimately, he ended up um, he ended up totally out of God's will. He ended up in a dungeon. He ended up in a prison. He ended up with no eyes. He ended up with no strength and only in a last gasp effort of asking God, you know, basically, I have failed with my life. Let me survive in my death. Uh, In his last act, he killed more Philistines at one time than he did in his entire life. He really was a failure as a judge for the purpose that God had designed him because he would not consecrate his life. Now, does God still speak to parents today about the purposes for their children? Of course he does. I I think there's three biblical texts that I would say give a lot of direction and purpose for parents today. Uh, You know, Probably most often, it's not an angel. Uh, most often, it's not a you know, it's not something very very specific like a Nazarite vow, but in Deuteronomy six, God tells parents how to lead their children, and He tells parents how, as they grow, their kids are supposed to grow, and He tells parents talk about uh, talk about spiritual things in the home and out of the home, talk about spiritual things at spiritual times and normal times, talk about spiritual things in the morning and in the evening. Uh, Put spiritual verses on your head and on your hands. Those weren't symbols that were supposed to be carried on a forehead or on wrist, but uh, he basically meant think about them all the time and, and do them. Let your hands be active in doing what God wants you to do. So I said Deuteronomy 6 applies clearly to every parent God's purpose for your child is that they might know God. I think 2 Timothy 2.2 2 applies to every parent and the purpose for their children. The things God has taught you, teach to your kids so that they can teach to others spiritually. I think that is a purpose for every child spiritually. And then the 1 Corinthians 10.1 uh, where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I, I think every parent uh, can today still carry the purposes of Deuteronomy 6 really help your child have a spirit, live in a spiritual culture and environment. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, teach your child everything that you've learned spiritually and teach them how to teach somebody else that. And then First Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10.1, live in such a way that if your child lives just like you, they're going to live close to Jesus. I believe those three things still hold great purpose for every, not just every parent, every coach who wants to impact a player. Um, every friend who wants to impact a friend, every boss who wants to impact employees, every coworker who wants to impact another coworker. You know, this entire message uh, was built through the lens of parenting, but we said on Sunday, um, anyone who is discipling anyone, anyone who is mentoring somebody, anyone who has any leadership over anyone spiritually cannot be passive. They've got to be active in how they lead them. So Deuteronomy 6, 2 Timothy 2, 2, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, those are going to apply to anyone who wants to lead and help people have spiritual purpose in their lives.
1: That's great. Um, Samson and his parents were given very clear directions from God. But as you pointed out um, on Sunday, Samson was distracted from those plans. Um, Samson would test the boundaries that God had given without much pushback from his parents. And so seeing this pattern in Samson's life, you gave us four very practical passive parent warnings Um, and and the first one was this Samson's parents gave recommendations against spiritual danger but not but didn't restrict access to it Um, can you give us some examples of what this looks like in our families today where we just simply recommend but we don't really restrict and then secondly as parents why are we often hesitant to restrict our kids from access to certain things
0: but yeah, so I'm I'm going to start with the second question. I think um, I think parents are hesitant to place spiritual restrictions on their kids that they know they should place because they have believed a lie of the devil mm. um, that sounds like this: um, if you if you push them towards church Christianity, if you push them towards following God, it's just going to make them run away. Uh, I, wow. I've heard that more times than I can remember. And Brandon, wow. that's simple. That that's spiritual warfare. There is no verse in the Bible that states that concept or principle. That if you re- if you lead your children strongly, it will make them want to run away. There's wow. no verse in the Bible that says the more you lean into them spiritually, the more you're going to want to make them rebel. It's a lie from Satan. It's spiritual warfare. But it's one our culture. Is kind of clung to, and and we just say, you know, I just don't want to push my kids spiritual. I just want to let them figure out everything in their own times. Well, did you let them figure out um, when they should start using the bathroom and a toilet rather than a diaper in their own time? Yeah. Did you let them start figuring out when they should eat solid foods versus soft foods in their own time? Did you let them figure out when they wanted to start their educational journey in their own times? Um, did you just let them figure out manners as life went along? If you replace the statement, if I push my kids towards church, it'll make them rebel against God. If you replace the words church and God with anything else, we'll see how foolish that statement is. You know, if I, um, you know, if, if I push my kids to eat vegetables, they're going to, you know, they're, um, they're going to rebel against healthy food their entire life. If I push my kids, to go to school and get good grades, they're going to they're gonna flunk out and drop out. If I push my kids to be nice, they're going to be the meanest kids yeah. in the world. If I push my kids to um, work out, they're going to try to get as fat as they can. I mean, that statement doesn't work in any other context in life. Uh, and parents guide and direct their kids towards things that they are passionate about and that their kids should be passionate about. Why Why should Christianity be any different? So, right. one, I'll say that's why I believe so few parents will restrict their kids from sin because in almost everything in life, parents lead. And in spiritual things, I think, well, I just want to let my kid figure it out for themselves. I believe that's spiritual warfare. I believe that it's wrong. And I believe parents need to take back the spiritual journey, at least the first 18 years of their kids' lives. Why, what are some examples of recommendations rather than restrictions? Um, let, me, let me posture it through the lens of a friendship instead of parents for all the people who are listening today who don't have children in the house. Uh, I've got a coworker um, who, uh, who has become more than friendly, borderline flirtatious with somebody that we both work with who's married and he asked her one day, "Hey, do you want to go to lunch?" By the way, I'm I'm making all this up. We do not have an employee at Journey like this. Someone will say, "Wow, you should do." Yeah, so this is, you know, this is a situation that could unfold. So I have a friend at work, um, who's a single gal who's going to go out to lunch um, with a married man who I can tell they are they have been flirtatious um and and there's danger lurking instead of telling her as she um, walks out the office, behave yourself on that lunch. Don't do anything. I wouldn't do. I'm going to, I'm going to be praying for you not to find yourself in a bad experience the night before. Take them out and say, you can't go on that lunch. You have to say, no, there's no good thing that can happen. He is married. If he were your husband, you would not want him to do this. I have seen how you look at each other. I have seen how you talk to each other. You both are saying this is a business luncheon, but you both want more. I refuse to let you go out to lunch with him. I've called three of our friends, and we are all going out to lunch tomorrow, and you need to begin to unplug from this relationship. See the difference between a passive recommendation and a, and a, stepping, in, a stepping in to try to do something. Now, Now put that on your teenager's. Uh, who live in your house instead of telling your teenagers as they walk out the door to go to a party where, you know, there are drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things going wrong. Hey, listen, be good tonight. Um, You know, don't, uh, don't get yourself into trouble. Don't drink, you know, don't smoke anything illegal. How about as a parent, you say you're not allowed to go to that party. There is nothing good there for you. Mm. And I know your friends are there, but you are not going to go into that environment there's nothing good that can come out of that environment restrictions rather than soft recommendations. Um, you know, another, another recommendation might be, Hey, when, um, you know, when, when you're at your girlfriend's house and her parents leave, you know, you, you should, you know, make, make sure that you don't do anything that you shouldn't do. Um, make sure that you stay in an open room, make sure you act, As if Jesus is in the room. How about this? You're not allowed to be at your girlfriend's house if there are no adults there. You're not allowed to be at our house if there are no adults there. It's it's a firm restriction rather than a passive recommendation Mm -hmm. where you just hope. It's like, listen, I know when I was your age, I'd probably fail in this situation. But um, hey, I want to recommend for you not to do that. Samson's parents could have said, we're not going to the vineyard. Um, instead it was like, well, we shouldn't do that. Samson's parents could have said, you are not marrying that Philistine girl. Um, instead of said, well, you shouldn't do that. It's like, okay, we know what shouldn't be done as a parent. Don't let me do it. Mm. Like that's, that's what our kids are begging us. Um, listen, be my parent, not my friend. I have friends. You're not my friend. You're not as cool as my friends. I'll treat you like my friend. Cause I want your money, but you're not my friend. You're my <laughs> parent. Be my parent. Um, be my parent, save me from myself when I'm 25 or 30, I will look back and say, thank you. Yeah.
1: Oh, that was really helpful. Really helpful. Well, you know what I found also as a, as a parent is when I do restrict, I, I try to replace. In other words, I'm not going to let you do that, but instead let's go do this. And really good. It, yep. It's really just an alternative to just simply saying no. So
0: yeah, I agree. Really good.
1: Yeah. So number three, passive our Question three, passive parenting warning number two was Samson's parents were aware that the direction of his life was drifting from God, but they refused to confront, confront him. So many of us hate confrontation. I mean, it, the last thing people want to do is confront others, but it's really necessary. What are some really practical tools you've used to confront individuals that appear to be drifting spiritually?
0: Well, first, I, I don't like confrontation more than anybody else. Right. Uh, but but my spiritual role demands it sometimes. Um, in the twenty third Psalm, which is one of the you know probably the most famous Psalm in the history um, of Christianity, uh, David says, "Your rod and your staff, um, they they comfort me." Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, those those were. Those were two parts of the shepherd's staff that he would carry. The shepherd's staff was meant to protect and to keep sheep from going where they needed to be. But when it was used as a rod, it was used as punishment. It was used corrective rather than protective.
1: Mm.
0: And what? And our first question was all about protective restrictions, right? Right. Now we're talking about corrective. Something's been done wrong. Now we have to confront. Now, we have to say something. Now, now, now we have to um, take the rod. Scripture says to spare the rod uh, means to hate the child. That doesn't that doesn't mean you beat the tar out of your kid. The rod is just being willing to correct. And often correction takes confrontation. What are some good steps to confrontation? Um, One, pray. uh, Stop and pray. Ask God to give you wisdom. Um, Calm down. Never confront or correct when you're angry, uh, even if you have to wait. Calm down, pray, let your spirit be calm. Uh, I like to try with Danielle and my kids and even our team members and people in my life. If there's confrontation, I like to schedule it and give a heads up so they can begin to pray too. Uh, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about a situation that's not going well. Um, Could we meet first thing tomorrow? I don't like to delay it. Hey, something's going wrong and we're going to have to meet, but then leave it up in the air so that they have to worry about it. And you bully them emotionally emotionally. But yeah. to say, hey, we're going to sleep on this, but tomorrow after school, we're going to have to talk about what happens. Schedule a time so it becomes a, a meeting rather than an emotion. Um, and and when you confront them, I, you know, I always think we should confront the older your teenagers get. So the younger your teenagers are, you ca- you can confront and you can coach. You did this wrong. Here's what you need to be right. You need to change. The older your teenagers get, you've, you've got to confront like a counselor. Here's what went wrong. Um, together, how, how are we going to go right? Um, you, you can't do this anymore. So you, you know, you talked about, um, replacing what you restrict. Uh, I would say this, give, give options, you know, when, when you confront, um, give options, uh, you know, you did this that was spiritually wrong. That was spiritually dangerous. Um, so let's figure out how that doesn't happen anymore and even let's let's figure out what a you know what some proper consequences would be that right. would honor god and help us remember this mistake and you can have two or three of each you can still lead strongly but you can say here are here are the three options you can choose from for your consequences here are the three options we can choose from to do this differently next time but you allow the older they are to have a little bit of a voice into it so that they grow through their comfort, their, their, uh, confrontation they actually grow. Um, and they can get better through their confrontation, which, you know, which, which I think always works really good, but always pray, ask God to really prepare your heart. Always calm down. Don't confront when you're angry, nothing good ever happens when you do that. Um, try to schedule a time that is both scheduled, but, um, scheduled, but, but quick, you know, don't, don't leave it hanging. Um, and then give, give options, give choices of what consequences, um, could be, but you, but you have to step in and confront. You just, you have to, it's not easy. It's not fun. Um, but, but it's part of parenting. I mean, that's, that's part of the job that God has given us um, to do.
1: That's, that's really good. Passive parenting warning number three was Samson's parents failed to ask tough questions or look deeply into his life at critical times. You said something that, that is really important for not only parenting relationships, but for all family relationships, and that's this. Awareness of trouble must bring action to help. I, I think oftentimes awareness of trouble is generally not the problem. Uh, we can often feel that something just isn't right, but it's that move to action part that we often slip up on. What do you do as a pastor or even as a parent when you see that there is a problem that requires you to move to action?
0: Well, I, I think too many people. And this was, you know, we gave some strong, some strong parenting, some strong leadership, some strong mentorship, discipleship tips at the end of the message. And one of them was stop talking about people and start talking to people. Uh, Brandon, I'm not, I'm not on any social media. Uh, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Snapchat or whatever the the latest things are. Uh, and here, here is the reason for that. The way that I am shaped, I cannot be aware of things without action. Um, I don't know that it's just the pastor in me. I don't know that it that it's I have a special heart. I just worry about people. It's just the way that I'm. I'm shaped. If you are an enneagram person listening to this, I'm a two. I love people. I feel people. I want to be around people. I'm shaped relationally. It's just the way that I am. And I had to get off social media as a student pastor because when I was a youth pastor, I would follow my kids on social media, and if I would see them, you know, post something from some place they weren't supposed to be, and I was spiritually responsible for them. I couldn't sleep until I reached out to their parents until I reached out to them. Um, I could not, not act on things that I was aware of. I just don't have the ability to do it. So for me, um, I realized I have to shepherd. Well, for me, shepherding is acting on awareness, uh, which means I'm either going to fry all my circuits or I'm going to have to limit who I shepherd, what I'm aware of and how I act on it because I, You know, I just, I just can't have casual relationships with people where I care about somebody spiritually, uh, and I see them out doing something, um, that's going to hurt them spiritually. I can't do it and think, oh, well, um, and just go have dinner and forget about it. I, I can't. So when you, when you have that spirit specifically, right. I mean, we can't pastor the whole world, but if you're a parent, you're responsible to, to pastor your children. If you're a spouse, you're responsible to pastor your spouse. If you are in a small group, you should, have, you should have some spiritual accountability for people in your small group. If you're a good friend, you can't be aware of pain, of suffering, of need, um, and of spiritual danger in someone's life and not do anything about it. Hmm. And so often, um, so often we share a prayer requests, but we don't take action. It's like, boy, did you see what Tammy did today? I saw her Instagram and, um, yeah. man, it looks like she's at the lake every weekend yeah. doing things she did. And I, I hope her teenagers don't say that. Well, listen, stop talking to your neighbor about Tammy and call Tammy <laughs> and go have coffee with Tammy and say, I saw you on Instagram. And I look here, I look through the lens of, of your Christian friends. I look through the lens of your kids I look through the lens of your boss and I'm just worried. I'm not better than you. I'm not judging you. I'm worried about you. Is there anything that I can do to help? Because so often when people are hurting and acting out and walking away from God's purpose for their life, they're doing it because they're in pain. They're doing it because they're hurting they're doing it because they're confused and they may not be intentionally saying, I'm crying for help, but their spirit is crying for help. When God has said, go north and they go south, their spirit is throwing up all kinds of flares saying, please help me turn around. Uh, so we have to, when we when we have an awareness of hurt, we have to take action. When we have concern, we have to ask questions. We've got to quit thinking. And I've I've told more people this than I can remember. Sure. If you you are a Christian and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are walking with the Lord, you're in scripture, you're praying. If you are a Christian who is in tune with the Holy Spirit, trust your gut because your gut is God. Now, if you're not walking with God, don't worry about it. But if you're walking with God and you feel something in your gut that you can't explain, trust your gut because your gut is God. It's the Holy Spirit nudging you. Ask a question. Something's wrong. Make a phone call. Something's wrong. Send a text. Something's wrong. Set up a coffee. Something is off. People would rather have you ask deep questions and take action than be aware, be concerned, and do nothing.
1: Oh, man, that was so good. So good. Last question today. I hate to end it because this is this is a really, really good episode. Last question today, though. Uh, Passive parenting warning number four was this. As parents, we cannot allow our children to experience everything in life but a haircut by managing sin instead of confronting it. Uh, What are some things you and Danielle have done? to research and monitor the activity of your kids that you have found extremely helpful. What are some really practical things you've done to help in that area as parents? Well, it's hard
0: for me to speak from personal experience because I feel like I know less about parenting and I feel like I am less equipped to teach anybody about parenting now than ever before in my life, because I have a 17 year old and a 15 year old, um, And man, I am like moment by moment trying to figure it out. Um, You know, when, when you, when you're zero to 12, you think your parents know everything. When you're 12 to 18, you don't think your parents know anything. Um, When you're 18 to, you know, 23, um, you know, you think your parents know some things. When you're 23 to 30, you watch other parents and you think, every parent knows nothing. And then when you become a parent, you realize I don't know anything like that. That is just the way that it is. Um, so we're just, we're just trying, Brandon, if you have any good tips, no, man, pass, pass, pass them on. Uh, we yeah. try, we try to have extremely open dialogue um, with really our good. kids. Uh, I bet I ask my 17 year old son every week um, how, how he's doing with his eyes, how his purity's doing. I bet, I bet Christian and I every week, uh, have a conversation of, hey, are you looking at anything on your phone that you shouldn't be looking at? Are you struggling with pornography? Uh, have you and your buddies looked at anything or talked about anything that you shouldn't be? I bet we talk about that every week. You say, isn't that weird? No, it's not weird. What's weird in 2019 would be for any parent of a teenage boy to think they don't struggle with pornography That's or to right. sweep that up, or to sweep that under the carpet and act like, 99% of the kids at school don't have it on their phones and aren't trying to show it, even to your good kid who wants to repel from it. What's weird is denying the reality of what's going on in the world and not talking about things. We talk to my daughter Casey um every week about drama. She's a she's a freshman girl. So we will sit down and say, Where you know, where is their drama in your friends friends groups? Whose feelings have you hurt? Who has hurt your feelings? tell us about where you're struggling. We we just have deep conversations. We know what both of our kids' vices are. Uh, We know what both of our kids' strengths are. And we often talk to them about the things we know they struggle most about and the things we know they should be doing the best. And they feel a tremendous openness to us to, to just be real. We ask deep questions. We try when we have family dinners not to just talk about the Royals and the Chiefs and the weather. We do the high-low buffalo. What's what's the best thing about your day today? How did it make you feel? What's the worst thing about your day today? How did it make you feel? What's one thing you weren't expecting that happened? How did it make you feel? We listen for feelings of shame. We listen for feelings of guilt. We listen for feelings of hurt. Um, We listen for situations that might make them feel overwhelmed. Um, you know, we've got the life 360 app on their phones. We track everywhere they go. We know the passwords to all of their technology and we tell them as long as we're paying for it, those are ours. You use them, but they're ours. And we have permission to read every text conversation if we want to, to look at every social media post. If we want to, we rarely do anymore. We, we did way more in middle school, um, than we do in high school, but we reserve the right and our kids know that, um, and they understand that. Um, and Brandon, I mean, for, for us, the biggest thing we do is we, we partner with our church. Um, we, we just tell our kids, you got lots of freedom in your life to, to do what you want to do on Wednesday. You're going to church. Um, on Wednesday, you're going to church because your mom and I, we need the help of our church and our youth group to make sure your, your things are going well spiritually. You're every summer, you're going to go to youth camp and you're going to serve on some missions trip. I mean, we you know, we we don't have, you know, we don't as a family get up and do devotions together. We once a week try to have a family meeting where we're we're reading through a book together, read through a devotional. I mean, we talk about spiritual things, but you know, we we don't every day do devotions. We don't make our kids read their bible. We make our kids do three things spiritually. They have to come to church on Sunday. They have to be in youth group on Wednesday. And they have to fill their summer with spiritual activities, camp, and some type of mission trip. Um, Those are the three things we we force our kids to do. Um, And our hope is that they are learning enough over all those times that something sticks that makes them passionately want to follow and pursue Jesus um, and stay out of the vineyards and stay away from the things that bring death to life, um, and to make sure. Um, that, that if they get a haircut, uh, it's because they are, they are giving it in an offering to God, not to, not to the world, uh, meaning we want their life to count for the Lord more than anything else. Uh, but parenting is hard. Um, we, we mess up as often as we fail. Uh, we mess up as often as we succeed, maybe more yeah. than we succeed. Um, but we have chosen that we, we won't be passive we know the devil's real. We know spiritual warfare is real. Uh, there's no guarantee that our kids are going to grow up to love God and follow God, but it won't be because we were passive and sat back. Um, you know, that, that, that may end up being the direction that they go, but it won't be one that, uh, that we watch from on the sidelines and say, well, that's too bad. Uh, we'll, we'll keep fighting for our family, uh, and we'll do it very actively. Uh, we won't sit back passively and, and let them lose.
1: Mm. Well, Pastor Christian, I want to personally thank you for your willingness and your boldness to share these warnings that are, I believe, are not only practical for parents, but for any relationship where we have an opportunity to guide, guide and direct and have spiritual influence. So thank you for having that boldness to share that. And we want to thank you for listening to the podcast today. Just like Pastor Christian said, parenting is really hard. Battling brokenness in our relationship is really hard. But we want you to know that you're not alone. And so if we can help in any way, I I, I want you to hear from us. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us at any time. You can send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc and we will do whatever we can to help you get the help that you need. We look forward to catching you next time on the Activate podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active.
0: Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate
1: Podcast.